Hi, I'm Todd Nathanson. And I'm Danny Roth. This is Song vs. Song. Today, we are going with the battle of the overblown and overplayed 90s movie ballads. From 1992, Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. And from 1997, Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. You ready to do this? Never. Uh, this is agony. I remember when we got to the end of the last episode and, and I asked, as I often do, do you know what the next one yeah. will be? And uh, and you said these. And I'm still angry at you. <laughs> I just, you know. I'm Spoken aw- like a true 90s survivor. I'm aware that we're friends. And yet yeah. sometimes I think maybe you hate me. <laughs> and that the reason that you brought me onto this podcast is like the good place. Right where I think this is great. Yeah, Todd and I doing a podcast together. <laughs> oh man, I'm in heaven. And this is this was the moment where I said, "This is the bad place. <laughs> this was it. This is when I realized because there's no there's no right decision." Yeah. And I, we're gonna break with tradition this episode because usually at the very beginning we decide we we take sides yeah. on this. And I genuinely don't know what side I'm on because both of these are very. Very painful. Let me ask you this, just yeah. to start. Do you have any particular relationship to either one or both of these songs? Well, I mean, in that I lived through it through the 90s, yes. But I would say, I, you know, I'm not sure about this. I would have been eight years old in 92. I was like, was that the first pop song I knew? Because I uh, did not listen to much popular music growing up. I wasn't allowed to. I listened to my parents' oldies. But I Will Always Love You was inescapable. Like, even when you're a little kid, you don't know anything except, you know, what you watch on Nickelodeon. It was everywhere. Yeah, here's what I want to say, just in case you weren't alive in 1992, maybe you weren't aware of the goings-on, but it was very important, and this is true, not making this up on the spot, factual, you can't let there be a silence in the room. People had to be talking all the time because if there was more than five seconds of silence in a room, immediately, and <laughs> you know that's yeah. just how it would be. So that's a real thing. You can look it up. That's just that's just you know me being honest. This is me like you know shattering some illusions that people had about the '90s. They were bad. Yeah. Um, so that's why, if you wonder why does this man talk so much, that's why. It's because I've got that Whitney Houston fear. There's just a brief pause and then. Thump. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. And then you know it's too late. Yes, and, uh, yes. Whenever there's a silence in the room, I'm sorry, but that's how it's going to go down. Our friendship's going to end over this. I know it. That song starts a cappella, so it starts with silence. So, like any long silence is a, is a cue. Yeah. If I uh, should stay. Oh God. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's let's also dispel. It would be a lot easier to say which one of these is the better song if if we weren't referring to the Whitney Houston rendition of this song. Yeah. If we were talking about Best Little Whorehouse and it was a Dolly Parton rendition. <laughs> the, the big movie ballad of the 80s, yes. That would be it. Then there would be no question in my mind, I would say, unquestionably, Dolly Parton trumps all. You know, there's There really is nobody better than Dolly Parton. I don't think there's ever been a purer soul. Yes. Uh, and therefore, and that song is good. You ever, you ever watch Best Little Whorehouse in Texas? Yes, it Kind of, they kind of shoehorned that in there. But when she sings that song, you know what? I feel something. I, I got to be honest. I've seen that movie, and my only memory is of Charles Durning doing a little sidestep. 
He's got a big whole musical number about how <laughs> he's a politician and he do- doesn't give a straight answer to any question. And then he does a little song about it. That's what I remember. I don't remember a whole lot of whoring, honestly. No, there really isn't that much of it. Yeah. Uh, but she does sing that that ni- that nice song. And it, you know what it is? It. Yeah. I will say that because it's not this big thing where all of a sudden she's on a chair in the middle of the mountains. <laughs> As a result, and also the bodyguard, this is another thing, which is that the bodyguard is not good. <laughs> you know, I've seen it, and that movie is not good. And uh, the theme song from the Titanic, that famous movie, The Titanic, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that contains just that sentence contains a lot more power than the ballad from The Bodyguard. Yes, the that ballad from did- Titanic is a lot. Yeah, because the thing is, the Titanic movie. Yes. Also known as Titanic. Yes. I don't want to say it's a great film, but it's a James Cameron joint. There's some, it's, it's definitely better than the bodyguard that I will say, you know, these are both similar songs in that they're both about the same thing. It's about, you know, someone staying in your heart long after they're not, you know, physically present for whatever reason. Yeah. But one, but one of them that somebody's dead. Yes. But one of them, that somebody is Kevin Costner. So, yeah. So, better dead than Costner, really. Uh, I've seen Waterworld. Never gotten through the postman, but I'm just suffice it to say. Shockingly, Costner has a lot of impact on I Will Always Love You. Okay, first off, they're, they're filming this movie, The Bodyguard. There's a whole series of interviews about this that they did after Whitney died. It's like her biggest hit, like how it all came together. It came together because they had this. Bodyguard is about a famous singer, but there's no music in it originally. And they were like, well, we better put in some musical numbers. And they were going to do uh, What Becomes of the Brokenhearted from the 70s. What becomes of the... Mm-hmm. And then uh, mm-hmm. my favorite lesbian cannibal movie, Fried Green Tomatoes, beat them to it. So they they were kind of struggling to figure out... Tr- yeah, it is a lesbian cannibal movie. Okay. I, I see the look on your face. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I was like, wait, are we talking about... Is this like a... Is Fried Green Tomatoes the third entry in the Killer Tomatoes oeuvre, and I never realized it? If you haven't seen it, that statement is completely accurate, except maybe the lesbian part is a little more implied than real. But the cannibalism is undeniable. I'm off track. Let's yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Let's let's get back. So Kevin Costner, the uh, country fan that he is, the cornpone uh, baseball playing man that he is, he was like, I know a country song that'd be great for to end this movie. Uh, Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You. And he also, it was also his idea is like, why don't we start at acapella so that, you know, she's not even doing singing this for the music. She's singing to herself because she loves me so much. Me, Kevin Costner. And then <laughs> uh, Whitney Houston tried, or tried to raise a protest. <laughs> and then he got real close in her ear and said, if you sing it, <laughs> I will come. Ew, I did not want to hear that. Well, listen, I'm just dropping hard truths today. Kevin Costner was a scumbag. It's weird that Kevin Costner was so big in the 90s. I think about that often. (laughs) I always think about uh, that. And then I think it was also weird how big Russell Crowe got. Yeah. I think that, yeah, if you look, it's Kevin Costner to Russell Crowe. To I don't know who's in that spot now. Next song versus song, I'll do Kevin Costner's band versus Russell Crowe's band. You're a, a real bad friend. I <laughs> I feel like I've been saying it a lot today. 
but you, you, you're a real sadist. Kevin Costner's band is named Modern West, and Russell Crowe's is named 30-odd foot of grunt. I was going to say do go on, but don't, don't, don't. What else have you got? What other information do you have? Do you know Celine Dion hates My Heart Will Go... What did not want to sing My Heart Will Go On? Oh, really? Has she recanted on that? She well, I mean, she's, she's proud of it now, certainly. Yeah. Okay, how that one came into being was... James Horner wanted to put a big movie, big 90s movie ballad at the end of the, of Titanic. James Cameron is not that kind of guy, apparently. He's not really into that. He's got never had, you know, Brian Adams do a single at the end of Terminator or whatever the hell. Yeah. In fact, what I read was that he mostly listens to, like, Metallica. Anyway, James Horner is like, well, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. So, you know, better to ask, you know, forgiveness than permission. And he puts this together. He knows Celine Dion because they did a, a song together for Fievel Goes West. Oh, I'm talking about Fievel Goes West on a completely different podcast <laughs> tomorrow. That was Jane, that was Jimmy Stewart's final film. Ah, he well, did that. Didn't do anything else. A couple years later, dead. Oh, I'm going to tell you. I'm, I'm about. To, I'm going to drop some some serious Fievel trutherism <laughs> tomorrow. I'll tell you that. Well, Celine was the original singer of whatever songs at the end of that. They they gave it to Linda Ronstadt eventually. Yes, they did. Who also did somewhere out there from the original. But anyway, they was like, hey, Celine, I got another song for you now that you're actually famous now. And now that it's 1997, 90, why don't you do this? And Celine Dion's like, this is not a great song. I'm just going to do one take and I'm going home. She was really not impressed with it. And apparently, once she saw the movie, she was like bawling in tears and like, James Cameron was like, yes, this is the greatest thing. This is exactly what I need. Do you have any strong memories of uh, the winter of 97 when that song was inescapable and Titanic mania was inescapable? I remember liking Titanic when it came out. And I re- when the, that scene plays, you know, the delicate pipes. And I was like, actually, this is quite nice. And I enjoy this. And I had not yet learned that I was supposed to hate Celine Dion. And then by March... You know, the movie came out in December and by March, it was just so thoroughly everywhere. And I was so sick of it. Uh, so, OK, that song, I do have an attachment to it in a really weird way. And I had forgotten until you brought these two up uh, and we talked about uh, personal attachment before we recorded. Mm hmm. And uh, the unfortunate truth is that I was a very sappy person uh, in the 97, 98 era of my life. And so um, when I was going to go to college, uh, I was really upset because I felt like it was not really conscionable for me to stay in a relationship with the girl that I've been dating because I was going to go away. Oh, my. And oh, my. So that song became something that I got really sad about. I would listen to that song and really cry about the fact that I was ending this relationship. I know. Oh, wow. I am aware that this is, you know, I mean, yeah. I don't even think it breaks the top 100 embarrassing moments of my <laughs> life because that's the kind of way that I roll. But it's not really something I probably should admit to out loud, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I probably have now a bit of a negative context <laughs> to it because that's so goddamn embarrassing. Like, I don't know why. Why did that happen? Why did I feel that way about that song at that time? And I'll tell you, I didn't get over it either because uh, not long later, I had another breakup and uh, I would get sad listening to the Tarzan song. You'll, You'll be, be in, in my, my heart. heart. That's oh, right. That's the worst yet. Yep. 
I don't listen. You will be plumbing the depths as we go, but I've had some pretty bad musical tastes in my life. And, uh, and those That's are but two of them. That's a happy song. My heart will go on. At least you were using it the way, the correct way it was intended. I know you're right. I'm a monster. <laughs> it's sort of hard to look back on that song and not feel like an idiot. <laughs> so I listen to that song and I think this song's stupid because it's a lot easier than, <laughs> than thinking I'm stupid. <laughs> So I don't know. I don't actually, I'm not really sure if I can sort of put an honest, objective <laughs> opinion to it. I mean, I guess you can't really do that with any song, but it, this one especially, because my reasoning for not liking it is just so oh. silly. I feel like when I listened to them back to back, I felt like I was sort of leaning towards Whitney just because of the key change, because they're very similar songs, but the the thud before the key change when Whitney does it and she hits that note that is like the note that made her famous and like she couldn't because of the drugs she was doing later in life she couldn't do it for after a while it was such a powerful note and I yeah you did it EI. <laughs> that's enough <laughs> but yeah I mean I think if I had to put my hand on my heart even if I didn't and then my heart went on yeah uh, I think that it's destination would probably be um, would be the Whitney Houston over the but, Celine Dion. I think for me personally, although I would be curious to hear sort of your your if you decide that you want to do you want to take Celine Dion? Is that was that where you were going? Did you have like a a butt at yeah, the end I, of that sentence? I do. All right, here we go. For me, it's not even Celine versus Whitney. It is those delicate pipes versus that cheesy ass sax solo. Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I see. Well, I'll tell you, I do really like the jokey that that song that's the bad someone trying to play the pipes badly. <laughs> you know that one? Yes. That I mean, I got to say once again, I, I you know, we could have if we had if we really wanted a good competition. Mm-hmm. If you had said Dolly Parton versus the bad pipes. <laughs> Man, I wouldn't know which way to turn because they've both provided me Dolly Parton Provides a lot of joy, you know? That's one of those things, you know? A lot of things I could get rid of in my house. Not getting rid of Dolly Parton. <laughs> she sparks joy. joy. Yes. That's a fact. And you know what else sparks a lot of joy? The the bad pipes. <laughs> <laughs> the bad pipes really just... I could... Li- I When I used to work in a comic book store, if we were feeling down, if the store had been really quiet for too long and we were all kind of starting to snooze, even if it was mm-hmm. a really boring Monday or something, like a boring Monday morning shift, mm-hmm. we thought we were all going to pass out. Or if it was, you know, the midnight shift and we wanted everybody to leave, that was the more common thing. Where yeah. we go, it's 11.59, there's five <laughs> people still in the store right now and we want everybody to get out so we can close up shop. We would just blast that and people would leave and we would laugh. It was amazing. <laughs> So that's a, you know, that makes it a lot trickier. The pipes are a factor. Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny thing. Like these are like so obviously both of their biggest hits that it seems like no one really likes either of them anymore. I mean, they still like the, um, the Dolly Parton version, certainly. But if you, you know, the Celine fans, I think I feel like they lean more towards, you know, because you loved me or it's all coming back to me now. That oh, is okay. the Celine that people still really like. Versus my heart will go on. That's just like a bad memory. And I feel like there's like that song's too big and it doesn't really have like a a strong enough sentiment to carry all that loudness. And I I, I honestly kind of feel that way towards 
I will always love you, the Whitney version also. Like these are very kind of simple sentiments. And even the chorus of I will always love you, it's just I will always love you repeated three times. Like that's not, I feel Well, and there's, you see, but that is where the performance comes into play. Yeah. Because in the context of Best Little Whorehouse (laughs) and Dolly Parton saying it about old Bert, I think each time she sings it, she kind of means something a little different. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a nuance to that song that you don't really find in the Whitney version because that was a song that was made so that housewives, when they were drunk in the middle of the day (laughs) and hated their kids, they could just blast it. I think there was a joke in Hedwig and the Angry Inch to that effect. Oh yes. That Hedwig, you know, was stuck in the trailer and there was the woman who was in the trailer across from them. I remember this, yes. And just constantly all damn day. And I will tell you, that is the realest shit I have ever heard. (laughs) That is 100% true. Like, you know, that that song's not from Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. It's it's from the 70s. It was originally released right after Jolene in 1974. And it was about Dolly's relationship with the country superstar Porter Wagner after she decided to go her own way. Oh, she could go her own way? Yes. Mm -mm -mm. (laughs) Speaking of the 70s. Yeah. And then she re-released it in 1982 and uh, became a country hit eight years apart twice. And then uh, Whitney releases it in 1992. And then uh, Dolly released it again in 1995. I remember this distinctly because I was still listening to country music at the time. So that is a, a song with a lot of staying power. I've not heard many covers of My Heart Will Go On, and they're usually uh, joke pop punk covers. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, even the thing that I was talking about that I derived my, my joy from was a joke. Yeah. I'm going to try and take something away from Celine. I think that in specifically in the context of Titanic, at the end, I think it plays. I think it works. You know, I think it helps the film i don't think it you know it's it's not a used to be my playground madonna (laughs) just farted out a bad song and they put it over the credits of of uh, league of their own because it was so terrible it's not one of those you know it's really a thing that punctuates a pretty uh long and tragic romance yeah and it's you know the the kind of cheesy that feels right and sincere in the moment yeah and because you know titanic is a very cheesy and sincere movie in fact, I read something from James Cameron who was like, I didn't want it originally because, you know, I'm making a very serious historical drama. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he, made, he, he, he made, you know, in a way, it's it's like Titanic by way of the MCU, you know? When you're in it, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, while you're watching it, it, it's very entertaining. But the very second you walk out of the theater, you go, that was cheesy and dumb. <laughs> you know, I think that, I think it is, oh my God, Titanic is like a Marvel movie. Yeah. In a weird way. It's got that sort of vibe to it. It's very broad. Yeah, because it's not dislike. Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, I mean, there are ones that are less good, but they're sort of designed to be just fine. Yeah. You know, you go in, you get some nice visuals, you know, in the case of Titanic, there's a there's a big song, which, you know, the Marvel movies, at least not the Disney ones, they have not gone for. However, yeah, Deadpool 2, Fox got on that train. (laughs) Deadpool 2 opens with a weird, crazy, big Celine Dion song. Yes. The many, many movie songs she has done in her career. Yeah. That was one of her best. I thought that was actually very good. Yeah, I give her a lot of respect because it was it was both a, a good song and also was her really playing into 
yeah this role that has been written for her and just saying this is fine i'm just gonna i'm gonna embrace it and enjoy it a little bit yeah there's a pretty popular book for us music critics called let's talk about love and it is just like a full-length dissection of the celine dion album let's talk about love (laughs) (laughs) and it was chosen specifically as like it's from the 33 and a third series where writers just get carte blanche to write whatever they want about whatever album they feel like discussing. And one was like, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, albums they like, I'm going to pick the lamest thing I can find. And he wrote that book in 2007 where Celine Dion was, you know, lamer than lame. I read the re-release 10 years later. It was like, man, Celine Dion's rep has picked up quite a bit in the past 10 years. Yeah. Well, I think she kind of just said it's fine. You know, yeah. I don't. I think she stopped being mad, or I don't know that she ever really was. I think that she was silent for a while, and then eventually said, "Okay, you know." And Whitney's reputation certainly, because around the time ninety two, Whitney was not like the, you know beloved R and B and pop star. She was Celine Dion. She was like she made these lame, boring ballads that it was very easy to dislike if you were like a hipster music critic like I was. People have reevaluated her in recent years, especially you know with her tragic passing and everything. Yeah, I mean, I think that people sort of see her in a in a very sad light now. I think that's sort of yeah the thing. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, this stuff isn't really music per se. It's it's music, you know. <laughs> it's, it's the kind of stuff you hear on in an elevator. Well, you know, it's it's schmaltzy, and you know, the problem with schmaltz is it's too big and it's too sincere and it's bad taste. But like when you feel it, you feel it like. You can get it in the right mood, and when something's like that big and that sincere, it's always kind of good, no matter how terrible it is. Like it'll always have its place. I think I'll go with Celine, honestly. All right, I'm gonna take. I'm taking Whitney. Cool. So we did. We did still manage to take the opposite sides. There you yeah. go. Always let it. I mean, yeah. I think it says something that we're just always going to be opposites in this way. <laughs> but what did folks say? What was what the it? What was the like? What was the breakdown? How did it go? Okay. Well. Someone said they had to go with Whitney because their song, her song didn't have three overplayed versions consistently playing on her work radio. Oh, yeah, that's true. I did not know this. Because there wasn't there, there's a radio edit and extended and then there's there like an instrumental or something? Yes. What she she says here is there was a Kenny G instrumental version. Right. Okay. Yes. That's what I remember. See, because there's there's the album version, which is. You know, I think uh, four thirty nine. I'm looking at, and then the soundtrack version, which was five minutes and eleven seconds. Oh gosh! Yep. Oh man, I I was listening to that just walking over here, and I was like, I've never heard this version. There's like, this version has like a chorus, like during the third verse, like a big choir going on. And yep, I will always love you. By the way, is four minutes and thirty one seconds. So <laughs> by virtue of the eight seconds less, that's just another yeah. reason why it's better. Yeah. Shorter is better. Yeah, two minutes, so that is just that one. And uh, yeah. That's all I need. That's all I need. All right, what else? What else we got? I got one other comment that was uh, I thought was interesting that said, from Holly Olsen, that points out that I Will Always Love You is a much more complicated song. Always, in, in their words, makes the case that loving someone doesn't mean you have to be with them, and if they don't do well with you, it's more loving to get out of their way. And that's a you know very complicated sentiment. Meanwhile... There's nothing in that with my heart will go on. You know, we'll stay forever this way. There's nothing I fear. It's you know very uncomplicated. It's you know it's just 100% love always. I love you always forever. Yep. There's a lot more going on in Dolly Parton's lyrics than uh, James Horner's there. 
Yeah, well, that's because Dolly Parton rules. I mean, I'm no, <laughs> no shade on James Horner. I mean, James Horner is, Horner is a great composer. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily call him a great lyricist. Well, it, some other guy did the lyrics. His name. Okay, great. So that 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 guy's bad. Cool. I don't have to say anything <laughs> bad about James Horner, the late great James Horner. I'm not yes. trying to come for him. Do you want the breakdown? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. How did it go? How did it turn out? My heart will go on. Got 218 votes for 39 percent of the vote. I will always love you with 337 votes, 61 percent of the vote. So a pretty crushing win for Whitney. Ah, man, it feels good. possibly it feels, Dolly. It feels good to be back on the winning side. It's been a couple <laughs> weeks of straight losses, but now the world is right again. Oh, okay. That was fun. Yeah, great. Okay, yeah. so... I uh, will always love that. Oh, Todd, Todd. The podcast will go on. You want to know what we're doing next? Yeah. Do you? Oh, I man, mean, I'm, I don't, but I, I mean, contractually, I'm obligated to know what's next. You know, I had a bunch, but I was just, you know... I didn't want to stay in the 90s, but I've just been dying to do this one. So here we go. Smooth by Santana or All Star by Smash Mouth. (laughs) Do you want to maybe sleep on this one? I I guess I will. Listen, here's I mean, this is only going to continue the the awareness that my taste in music is not great. Uh, I loved All Star when it came out. (laughs) Loved it. So did I. Uh, And I loved it because it was on the soundtrack for Mystery Mystery Men. That's the movie that it first appeared in. That is the soundtrack that I think of. I happen to really like Mystery Men. I think it's a weird movie. I think it's unusual. I think that there's really nothing else quite like it. And certainly when it came out, it felt to me like something worth celebrating and enjoying and i did so while listening listening to all-star by smash mouth so i don't know if that's where i'm gonna go but i will say that certainly um in the 90s i had a stronger attachment to that and i found smooth to be more inescapably obnoxious i tell you what i absolutely loved all-star for all the same reasons you said and as for smooth I absolutely loved Smooth. Okay. So, well, I guess we'll we'll see where right. we ultimately land, but yeah. we'll both have to have a long, hard think. We'll listen to both well, of those yeah. songs. Much has changed since 1999. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> you know, support us on Patreon. We're yeah. at so- Patreon on Song versus Song. I'm Todd Nathanson. You can find me at, at Shadow Todd. I'm Danny Roth. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Danny Ordinary. That is Danny with one end ordinary. Also with one end. <laughs> See you next time on Song vs. Song. Bye.